Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome on to a special Supermax contract trade edition of the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. It seemed like this trade was kind of fait accompli down to what the compensation was going to be, what the protections were going to be. People were kind of debating that before the trade even happened. But uh, John, what were your initial impressions of the John Wall, Russell Westbrook trade? I was a little surprised that it only took a protected first from Washington in order to pull this trade off. I thought Westbrook had much more left in the tank than John Wall does. We'll see how that plays out over the course of the year. But it was almost the only way out of this situation. Uh, you know, as I wrote for The Athletic today, almost the only way this situation could end was with these two guys being traded for each other. There were very few other avenues for these contracts to be swapped just because of their size and their length and the positions of the two players involved. Both teams are at least giving lip service to trying to win this year, but both teams wanted to, or both of these point guards wanted to relocate. So trading them for each other was really the only plausible outcome uh, to the point that I had people telling me they were sitting around just basically waiting to be traded for each other. So... That's where we are. I th- I think it's better for uh, Washington than it is for Houston. But I think both teams are still in a little bit of a pickle regarding their salary caps and their competitiveness and what ultimately happens with their all-star shooting guards. I mean, I, I don't think this is the move that keeps either James Harden or Bradley Beal in their locations long term. Yeah, it's really interesting on the price, right? I thought it was the right price. It was what I was expecting. I think if I were in Washington's standpoint, I wouldn't have wanted to give up anything more than this because it is still an incremental upgrade, as crazy as that is to say, for a guy who was all NBA last year. I didn't think he'd necessarily well maybe i did actually have him as all nba at least before the bubble happened Mm -hmm. um you know and he had that awesome streak when he had all that spacing around him and then uh, certainly the impression that the bubble left was not a good one but just going back to what they did last year john wall didn't play and russell westbrook was all nba and they make the same amount of money so you'd think that the difference between those two guys is much more than a first round pick but i think that this trade actually values westbrook more accurately than might have been expected in comparison to Wall. Um, And I'm not sure how much better it does make Washington, uh, particularly because defense is their biggest problem. I think Westbrook is probably a downgrade there from even, you know, a 70% John Wall, who at least isn't trying to switch every screen because of his bone spurs. Um, But I think for Houston, I thought it was actually more of a no-brainer for Houston's standpoint than Washington's because 
Harden is just going to be leaving. And they know that, I think. They're they're saying all the right things. They're playing it the right way. But once James Harden leaves, Russell Westbrook and John Wall, there's absolutely no difference between those two guys once James Harden leaves. So you might as well just get a first-round pick. I agree with that, sort of. I actually think it's much more plausible to trade Westbrook a year from now than it is to trade John Wall a year from now. So I'm, I'm not 100% sure that's true. Um, and and certainly Westbrook gives the Wizards a much more viable chance of being, you know, all in for the eighth seed or whatever they want to do this year. So I... And, and I get back to the protections on the pick where it's top 14, top 12, top 10, top 8, and then it becomes two seconds. It doesn't, it doesn't really have any chance of becoming a good pick. And if you look at the Wizards and kind of their history and where they're probably trending in a couple years, you may just be getting two seconds out of this. And <laughs> Danny and I, I did know, discuss that yesterday. So I, I, have, a, I have a hard time... I guess I have a hard time seeing the upside in this from Houston other than just you did a you did a Westbrook trade that maybe keeps Harden on board a little longer. I don't know. I mean this still ends with them trading James Harden. It has to, right? Well, and that's why I think I think it's okay. And yeah, I mean the pick is not amazing, but you still I'll go back to the point again where you I don't think it's really relevant of like oh Westbrook would be easier to trade in a year than John Wall. Like there'd be no need to trade Westbrook in a year because you're not trying to win at that point anyway. Like like you're not going to try to open up more salary cap space by moving Russell Westbrook. Oh, but so you're going to you- you're going to try to get right down to the salary floor though, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and i mean you could even imagine john wall potentially getting bought out at that point for a little bit of a discount mm-hmm. as well so i i think that's that's the point to me is just that westbrook if he was on this team a year from now there's no difference between him and john wall being on this team because you're not trying to win the incremental difference between those two guys is limited to be able to get anything positive for russell westbrook at all at any time is worth it because you know, you're in the exact same place whether you have Wall or Westbrook a year from now. So now at least you have a first round pick. And in fact, maybe you're probably better off having Wall because you can start getting towards the top of the draft again and maybe keep some of these other picks that you owe in the future. Yeah, that's the really hard part. That's one of the reasons I think they have to look at moving hard and sooner than later is because the uh, the damage from these picks they owe, you know, in the mid to second half of this decade is really going to hammer them if they aren't back into a competitive footing by then. And so, yeah, you know, they have now at least like this protect heavily protected first from Detroit, heavily protected first from Washington. You know, can they put those into something to get somebody to take Eric Gordon maybe or I don't know, put themselves in a position going forward where where they where they just can can really do a full teardown and have it done before 2025. Or is it 20, I, I is that, it 24? Is it 24 even? I forget when the the Um the, okay, so it, yes, it starts 2024 in 24, right? Yeah, 2024 to OKC top four protected 2025 swap. Let me just scroll through the four paragraphs I have on this pick on my sheet. Uh, <laughs> I think it's top 10 protected in 2025, the swap. And then 2026 is a straight up first top four protected again. So yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um, I, I think the, do we want to put odds on the chances that neither the Washington nor the Detroit first will convey? <laughs> 
it's well, quite possible I mean, with those two franchises, De- De- isn't it? Detroit, Detroit at least has seven years to get their shit together, right? So they, there's probably a better chance that conveys at some point, right? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, get, think of think of it this way: like they can luck into it, the eighth seed one year. Like they, I mean, they did two years ago, right? So yeah. well, well, once uh, once Servetus comes into his prime, I think they'll be uh, a championship <laughs> contender. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have timed oh, that man. for the podcast listeners. He was too, just taking a early. sip of coffee too early. when I oh, said that. Man. Right when I'm sipping my coffee, too. He, he busts <laughs> that one out. Man. That is oh, yeah. I mean, we have to do a short segment on the, the absolute ridiculous of that, yeah. ridiculousness of that. But, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, once the Troy Weaver era, I mean, they're going to just get worse over the next three years under Troy Weaver, and then he'll get fired, and then they'll still have to build back up. I mean, are they going to make the playoffs by that? I, I mean, yes, it's more likely than not that in the next seven years, Detroit will make the playoffs once, but... Yeah. Especially with some of those, you know, top 16, top 18. I mean, they have to actually be a decent playoff team in some of these years. Yeah, or or they have or they have to win 37 games in the East, one or the other. Yeah, I mean, it only goes down to top nine. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The East, so, the East is better now, though. They're like they they got like eight legitimate potential playoff teams. I, I guess my question for you is uh, on this Russ Wall thing. How good is Washington now? That's probably. I mean, that's really the question that determines yeah. whether this is worth it or not. Play in tournament. Here we come. They would have made that anyway, but maybe now they'll even be the eighth seed in the play-in tournament. I, yeah, I think I think they probably vaulted ahead of Orlando from tenth into ninth. I think it's probably what they what they did with this. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not too high in Orlando this year. Um, let me ask you this, by the way, we haven't really talked about this. Do you think that the play-in tournament is like a good thing for the NBA? Uh, I think it's a good thing from the NBA. I think it would create interest. I think it's more interesting than watching a 1-8 or a 2-7 series in the first round, certainly. Uh, I don't like the particular setup of it because no matter what, you can have a situation where... Because there's been years where there's like a five or six game gap between eight and nine or, or even worse. Like take the East last year where there's a giant gulf. And no matter what happens, you know, they say a team would have to win twice to get in or lose twice to to be out. You know, if you're a seven, eight, you have to lose twice to be out. If you're a nine, 10, you have to win twice to get in. But the problem is you set up a situation where that, that shitty team that was ninth or 10th only needs to win, no matter who wins that 9-10 game, only has to win once and they're in the playoffs completely undeservedly, right? Like, oh, well, you, you won twice. Well, one of them was against another horrible team. So big deal. So... I don't like that element of it. I think it's too. You you would have had it be. You would have had it be like uh, you know seven, where each of them just has to play the other team, and then like there's seven ten seven ten eight nine, and the low and the lower seed has to win twice. Yeah, I I think that's the fair way to do it. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the year and how far behind the ninth and tenth seed actually is. But if you also if you look at it from the perspective of the seventh and eighth seed, like you got to win just one out of two games, right? I mean, that's that's not asking too much, is it? No, no. I just, uh, at the, you know, somebody is definitely going to lose the 7-8 game though, right? And somebody will definitely win the 9-10 game. So what you're really saying is that, is that you're, bring, you're bringing it down to, to, there will definitely be a one-game tournament for a team that was in the top eight versus a team that was not. 
Yeah, no, that that I, I can understand that aspect, but I do think from the perspective of each individual team, if you're seven and eight and you're like, yeah, we couldn't win one out of these two games. The other thing too that I think would be good is just like, it'll give you, I think it's more likely, I think, to give you a better playoffs where, you know, if you just have, let's say two years ago where Detroit, Blake Griffin gets hurt right before the end of the year. And yeah, okay, you quote unquote earn that over the course of the year. I don't really care that much about that, frankly. Like, you earned being, like, at the 45th percentile of your conference if you're the eighth mm -hmm. seed. Like, congratulations, right? Like, I would rather actually just see an eighth seed that's playing well at that time if there's some team that just has an injury and the guy isn't yeah. going to play. You'd rather this. see you'd rather see last year's Suns yeah. make it versus say our 2016 Grizzlies team that had no Oh, you didn't even left. you didn't even let me <laughs> let me get that <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't even let you that. get your shot in. I know. I was like I, I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um yeah, so so uh, back to the original question, though, of just how good the the Wizards are with Russell Westbrook. What his fit is like there? Yeah, I worry about Beal there. I mean, Scott Brooks is going to indulge Westbrook, I think, and just yeah, it's a whatever. concern. Um, and is he going to stagger them that much? He's kind of not really been that willing to do that in the past with star players. So Beal, I think, may end up standing around a lot and may get kind of frustrating for him. So I, I worry about what that means for Beal's longevity there. And I mean, because I still think trading Beal is the best thing for Washington, like I, I, I don't necessarily think that's terrible. But if, you, if your attitude is we, we want to stay all in with Bradley Beal and build around him, this is probably not the greatest way to do it, even though on strict value, you won the trade. Yeah, I mean, Westbrook is more likely to actually be available than John Wall, uh, I think is fair, though he has his own problems. Yeah, he um, might not play back-to-backs again. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. Um, yeah, and Westbrook's just total inability to shoot versus John Wall just being a bad three-point shooter, but someone who can make an open one. I think that you know, there is an argument to me that John Wall would actually have been better for them uh, mm -hmm. than... Russell Westbrook, but also seems like the Wall Beal thing had run its course. Ted Leonsis was kind of sick of John Wall as well. Some of the off the court stuff was taking its toll a little bit. But yeah, I am uh, I am worried that Westbrook will probably shoot too much. John Wall had the ball a lot too, though back when he was the main guy. I'm uh, so I I don't know that this makes them. I got to really think about Atlanta a little bit more to see whether they or Atlanta are the favorite for the eighth seed. Um, and our mutual friend Kevin Pelton, I think he agreed with you. He gave them a D because he thinks that they should be trading Bradley Beal. And I mean, shit, they should have traded Bradley Beal in the summer of 2019 when yeah. superstars were fetching these massive, massive prices. Um, they they still are, fortunately. I mean, I still think Washington yeah. has that window, but the value of him starts going down at the trade deadline when you when you start going from a year and a half left on his deal to only a year until the player option. Because uh, yeah. then you really get roped into only trading him to places where you know he'll re-sign. But on the other hand, I mean, you look, Drew Holiday got multiple unprotected firsts with only a year left. Yeah, although the Bucks were possibly completely insane to do that. I mean, has there ever been in NBA history a more desperate team than this year's Bucks? Maybe the 2009-10 Cavaliers? Yeah, 2021 Warriors might be up there. Oh, man. Uh, so, but I, I, I mean, I, I am against the trade in the sense that it's like, now they're a little more likely to be slightly better and not 
face reality when it comes mm-hmm. to Beal. But when you, I mean, Ted Leonsis is their owner. Like the, you, the front office, as you well know, has to operate within the confines of what the owner wants and attempt to execute his vision. And within those confines, this, I think this trade probably helps them. It's just that those confines are a little insane, but that's been the case for two years. Well, it's been the case for more than two years, right? I mean, the Wizards' whole mentality yeah. for the last two decades has been kind of going all in for the eighth seed and not really pushing for anything uh, longer term or more strategic than that. Masterclass is offering basically their best ever deal here for the holidays. If you're struggling for what to buy someone, highly suggest Masterclass because if you get yourself an annual membership, you can get one to give to someone else for free. That gives you unlimited access to every Masterclass for you and a friend, loved one, whoever. Right now, you go to masterclass.com slash PER. Easy to remember slash PER because John invented it. Masterclass.com slash PER and you can get that unlimited access for you and someone else for free. This is a great way to take care of your gift giving because for people who really want to learn more about the world, there's nothing better than masterclass masters in their field. Serena Williams, Stephen Curry, Alice Waters, Chris Voss on negotiation. Go to that masterclass.com slash PR link. Check out the over 80. No, I'm sorry. Over 90 classes. Now they continually are adding my 80 was out of date. Just go and give it a shot. It's all cinema quality. Fantastic, fantastic classes. It's masterclass.com slash PR. Once again, masterclass.com slash PR. Don't forget that slash PR. Let them know that you came from us. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I do have one other question I want to ask you about this trade, but let's uh, let's get a chance to hit up a few questions here first. Uh, on let's see if there's anything on this specific topic. Uh, Paul George did well with Westbrook, and so did KD. Says uh, Pegasus twenty two N. Yes, uh, that's a that's a fair point. I mean, Paul George did have a really good year in Oklahoma City next to next to Westbrook. Uh, I that. I mean that 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 is that is true. I mean KD was a little different because KD actually got left on an island sometimes, and it was just because he was Kevin Durant was so awesome that he was able to yeah. overcome that basically. Yeah, and uh, that but, also that was a Westbrook who you know could at least make a fifteen footer. Yeah, that's true. Westbrook was shooting at a, at a higher level then. Uh, yeah, I. That, that probably is the most positive case you can make, that Paul George had a really good year there. Although every other player on the Thunder uh, had their job description as just stand around and watch these two guys. And so uh, it's a little interesting to think what's going to happen with these other players in in Washington. Uh you know they did. They ran a lot of cool stuff for for Bertans off the ball. I wonder what's going to happen there. If he's just going to be standing in a corner or not. Uh, 
the, yeah, I don't know. I, we'll we'll it, see it, whether it, it might not be that bad for Beal. I, I I I can see that point. Yeah, and hopefully Brooks will go with the stagger. Maybe he's learned something from the Russ KD days when he always refused to do that. Um, and I mean, if you wanted to pick a team where Westbrook actually fits pretty well, the Wizards are up there with the amount of shooting that they have. They're always going to be all offense anyway. They're always going to try and push the ball hard, which he's good at. He can help them with their rebounding a little bit as well. Uh, he also fits right in with their terrible defense. Yeah, <laughs> but, I was going to you know, say, I mean, the one thing about having Russ there is that Beal might have enough energy to try on defense this year uh, yeah. because that was the, the thing that nobody talks about with the offensive year he put up that last year. I mean, he was awful on defense. Um, and, I, so, and I think he yeah. has the ability to not be awful, to be clear. Yeah, so I... I, I Again, I don't see this really changing the Wizards' fortunes too much this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, maybe moves them from 10th to 9th. Yeah, I mean, I think they just have more certainty of, you know, being in the mix for the 8th seed, whereas I think they had more disaster potential with Wall, because if he wasn't able to play, then they really just didn't have anything at point guard, whereas now if with Westbrook, they at least have a little more size and athleticism to... Um, but again, you know, he could fall apart just as easily you're, as Wall could have. I mean, I you're probably looking at 15 games of Ish Smith either way, though, because, I mean, Westbrook sure. wasn't playing. He wasn't playing back-to-backs last year. Yeah, and he probably shouldn't this year. Um, so the last topic on this that I wanted to hit, I, I think this is a, a good point. Tom Haverstrow tweeted about this yesterday that, you know, these guys are both on Supermax contracts. They got traded for each other. We've seen a lot of guys on Supermaxes get traded now. Or, I mean, Chris Paul wasn't technically a super max, but he was making the 35% max. And then we've seen a lot of these guys who could have gotten the super max end up requesting trades and going elsewhere and not getting it. What's give me a report card for the super max now? They're first eligible to sign these in the summer of 2017. How's this working out for the league? Well, I think it's had the idea was that it would keep stars with their teams and help with that. I think it's had some unintended consequences when you look at some of these older stars uh, that, I mean, everyone knew the John Wall contract was horrible the day he signed it. Even even if he hadn't had the stuff with the Achilles and all that, that was going to be a negative value proposition from the second the ink was dry. Uh, what's going to be more interesting, I think, is these, con- these contracts like... Westbrook, where, where you, yeah, you could you could still argue there was some value there, but pr- probably you know the supermax is such a high number is the problem, and yeah. all these guys decline in their thirties that it really doesn't make sense to pay it. I mean, we're we're gonna see like with Lillard's contract, even if he's the best point guard in the league right now. I mean, when that number hits, it's such a high number that is he is he gonna be able to justify? That kind of value to be, you know, a $43 million player next season, a $50 million player in 2023-24. Like, you're just getting into numbers that are so high as these players' aging curves are turning the wrong direction. Gets, I mean, it's just really hard if a guy's not a top five player in the league. No, absolutely true. And top five players in the league, they have so much leverage and they're so good. They can just go on a year by year basis the way we've seen with LeBron and KD. Like, you know, they know that if they get injured, they'll still have a full max contract waiting for them afterwards. So one of two things ends up happening. Either 
the guys where it really makes the difference for where it's like oh my god this is so much money i can't pass it up those are the guys who like john wall made third team all nba one year and became eligible for it right then and are never going to make an all nba team again like the, the guys who are like oh yeah my career is probably going to be on the downhill let me grab this money right now those yeah. are the ones who end up where it ends up actually making the difference for them and then you also have this situation now where these contracts become such albatrosses that they just and are more likely to end up getting traded later. This idea of like, we're going to have these guys stay with these teams and then maybe they can retire there. But they're on these terrible contracts because they're making so much, the team is bad. And therefore they end up either wanting out or wanting to get traded or, or the team wants to trade them and rebuild and it doesn't make sense for them to be there anymore so it really just ends up with these guys like chris paul just getting shunted all over the league uh you know same thing with john wall same thing with westbrook yeah and it's a it's yeah it's a way to pay the 12th best player in the league uh when he's no longer the 12th best player in the league is basically what it is yeah well and then you throw in also the extension aspect of it where Hey, John Wall, you're the 12th best player in the league. Let's start paying you two years after you're the 12th best player in the Mm -hmm. league. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Wall's case was a little bit separate because, again, everyone knew the second that the ink was dry that that was a mistake. Uh, It gets more interesting with these guys like uh, Lillard and Westbrook, where they were like more legitimately all NBA players at the time. And but you knew that you were paying into a declining market. Yeah. Now, one thing you can argue is, let's say Dame Lillard, right? He signs this last year. Would he if he they, you didn't have the option to extend him like this? Would he have maybe wanted out at some point if things went poorly in Portland? Like, at least by giving him an extra four years, you still get the two years that you had remaining on his original contract first without feeling like, oh, we got to trade this guy if he's not going to resign. Um, The other thing, though, is the... I think the quote-unquote need for this was more an artifact of the salary cap jumping up to where it just didn't make sense on a normal veteran extension for these guys to come back because their previous salaries were too low to pay them at market rate. Now, though, the regular veteran extension where you can get three, four years, like that's probably good enough for most of these guys. Um, Yeah, it's... uh it's the the thing that really makes the supermax viable from a league-wide perspective is an increasing salary cap environment and especially if it's increasing by more than 8% per year uh, which is the maximum raises in in a supermax extension and so if you're in a situation like we have now where the cap is essentially flat for a couple of years or minimal rises then these supermax extensions are just killers yeah. Um, all right, let's hit some more here. Uh, oh, this is a good one from uh, Hot Fudge. Do you see any of these albatross contracts getting addressed in the new CBA? I think we got to see what happens in the next couple years with some of these deals. I think it's very possible, depending on what happens with Giannis. I mean, the reason they put this in is so Giannis can stay in Milwaukee and so Anthony Davis can stay in New Orleans, right? So if both of those guys end up turning it down, I think the the logical rationale for instituting this in the first place kind of evaporates. Um, so that that's going to be a really interesting piece of this. And then we got to see what happens over the next couple years with you know with Lillard with some of these other guys I, you know Steph's going to be eligible for one of these uh, I think and um 
in the coming year if he makes third team All NBA. Um, so we're we'll see what happens with some of these guys over the next two years. Yeah, but, well, Steph is already he's already eligible for thirty five percent. He's just been around he's been around long enough already. But yeah, yeah, he uh, has more than ten years experience. You're right, you're right. Uh, the yeah, no, he's actually the, eligible for an extension right now. Right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. heard nothing about that. No, it may be it may be in his interest to do it after the season. But yeah, um, it's uh it's going to be interesting. I do think there's a chance it it comes up in this in the cba talks and i think like actually i, I hate to pin this all on, on two players but like it's Giannis and lillard that i think are really going to determine the league-wide perception of this going forward if Giannis resigns in milwaukee and lillard retains at least a good chunk of his value over the next couple years and becomes sort of you know a franchise icon all-time leading scorer you know part of the furniture there no matter what and has like a dirk send-off at the end that then i think people feel much more positively about the supermax whereas if Giannis doesn't sign and lillard turns into you know four years and 200 million of, of not much at, at the tail end of this, then I think there's a very different perception of the Supermax. Um, how is from a uh, Mully 43. Why did AD sign a four plus one with an ETO versus the two plus one when he could have gotten that 10 year max after that? I think he's thinking about the deal after that. I think he's thinking that if he does a two plus one and then signs a five year max right away, he might actually end up with less overall earnings over the course of say the next decade than if he does a four plus one opts out after four when he's 31 and jumps in for that last last big bag at 31. I, I My guess is that was what he was thinking. He was thinking about the overall picture of the nine to 10 years. Because if you look at the next couple years of the cap, the 8% rises in his extension are going to outrun the increases in the salary cap. Uh, not enough to offset the difference between 35% and 30% between 22 and 24. But if there's a big cap jump uh, from 22 to 24, he can actually make up some of that difference. My estimate is about $8 million uh, on the second deal. And then he can go out more years and be signing a five-year deal at 31. So I think he's looking at the at the bigger picture um, of, of that. That would be my guess, because otherwise you're right. Yeah. The two plus one in, in very narrow, just just over the next five years, he could earn more money. Also, I believe the new TV contract will kick in for the 24-25 season, and perhaps that will lead to a salary cap jump. That could be part of this. Um, Especially once that he I didn't gets understand. that Twitch money. <laughs> uh, the thing that I didn't understand was... Why the ETO instead of the player option? Because once you exercise an early termination option, I mean, basically for this is quite arcane, but the ETO essentially means the default is that you're opted in and then to opt out, you send in the paperwork. The player option is the default is you're opted out and then you send in the paperwork. But a vestige from previous CVAs when you could have ETOs earlier than the last year of your contract, if you exercise an ETO, you then cannot extend that contract. Whereas a player option, if you decline it, then you can still extend. That's what LeBron James just did right now. So I, I'm curious. I mean, now one nice thing is that if you get traded your trade bonus applies to the eto year it doesn't apply to the player option year but i would think you would rather want to keep your extension options open rather than worrying about the trade bonus yeah i'm trying to remember because there's there's one arcane thing in there because we had to do 
I'm yeah, you guys did an ETO with Mike Conley. We yeah. had to do an ETO with Mike Conley, and I can't remember why, but it had to be an ETO and not a player option. And I can't remember if they changed the rule also between when we did that or, and now. But Yeah, because that would have been the previous CBA. I don't think they changed anything about ETOs in the new there, CBA. There, there was a reason in that deal that it had to be an ETO, and uh, it may have been because it had partial protect. Oh, I know. It was partially protected on the last year, and otherwise yeah. the option year would have had to match, match the year before. So I think that's uh, why yeah. we had to do an ETO, which I'm guessing Davis's deal is fully protected, so that's probably not an issue. Uh, but there may be some other arcane piece of it that required it to be an ETO. Yeah, I can't think of what that would be. However, you've all heard me talk about Theragun before, and there's no reason not to try it. A, because it's the holidays, but B, because you can try it for 30 days risk-free. It is basically the best way to take care of your body. If you have muscle soreness, if you just have that one spot that you just can't get a knot out of, you have adhesions all over your body, you just have been sitting for three hours recording a podcast and you get up and your hips feel really stiff, Theragun can help you a ton with all that. It can get you back to doing the activities that you want, feeling better if you have some neck pain, some back pain. Even if I'm getting a headache, I can a lot of times trace that back to my upper back and my neck and I can relieve some tension with the Theragun. It just works so well. It is the best body maintenance tool I am aware of. And you can try it now for 30 days. Their Theragun Gen 4 has an OLED screen, personalized app, and the quiet and power that you need. It starts only $199. Go to theragun.com slash PER right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented it. Theragun.com slash PER. Don't forget that slash PER to let them know that you came from us. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store okay let's move on here and i sent you last night my off-season grades uh that for the podcast that Danny and I did on Dunked on Prime last week. You are going to take a look at them and tell me which ones you disagree with. So uh, go ahead, lay it on me. All right. Is, this is hard because I, I actually, I, I, I agree, I agree with, with, with a lot of what, what you got here. Um, I, uh, I, I think the F for Detroit was too high. Too high? <laughs> <laughs> like 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 too good <laughs> yeah i, I would have given it an f minus uh so yeah well I, in my defense i didn't know about the servetus move yet at that point <laughs> you know milwaukee's an interesting one because you gave him a d and for the most part i agree like i think it generally was bad you know kind of they they 
completely botched the whole Bogdanovich thing. Uh, they botched the Connaughton thing. Uh, they probably overpaid for Holiday. But at the end of the day, the number one thing they could have done to improve their team was getting Drew Holiday. Like, he was he was the most attainable player for them uh, that would increase their odds of winning a championship the most. And they did acquire him. So it's tough for me to give them a D because of that. Because you do want to maximize your Giannis window, right? So yeah. I, I can be a little more partial than that. Uh, and maybe maybe say that was like a I, I I can't quite go D for them on that. Like I'm I'm thinking more C plus kind of. Um, you know, I. Well, here are, are, are you are you done on Milwaukee? I wanted to respond to to that. Yeah, sure, quick, sure. Before we, before we move on to another team. So I mean, from a process standpoint, they deserved a Q. Um, <laughs> Well, except no, they targeted Holiday and Bogdanovich, right? That was a good. That was a good start of the process. Everything else wasn't so great. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to obviously to screw up Bogdanovich. I mean, my best reading based on all the reporting has been that they made the deal with Bogdanovich. Then they made the Holiday trade, and they either knew that they would have to back out of the deal with Bogdanovich and offer him less or that they just didn't realize the holiday unlikely bonus hard cap issue uh which they would have to deal with with the Bogdanovich sign and trade where holiday basically against the hard cap gives you like 3.5 million in dead money and then they couldn't pay Bogdanovich as much uh so one of those two things was just a massive massive screw up I don't know. Maybe Giannis, due to his relationship with Bogdanovich, it was more important for him to get Bogdanovich than Holiday. Um, and then, so that might be part of it. This is so risky to basically give up four unprotected picks when you don't know if Giannis and Drew Holiday are sticking around or if they made the deal based on Bogdanovich also coming and thinking that Giannis would re-sign based on that. And now he's not going to resign maybe he will uh and it won't be as bad but you're still going out so far into the future with those picks where uh Giannis could be gone so I do see the point of hey if they win the championship this year and it's because they got Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday was unbelievable then yeah I also don't think Drew is like such an amazing fit like all right do you think they're the championship favorites now that they got Drew Holiday I think they're the Eastern Conference favorites yeah I mean their depth is so bad though yeah I, I mean I know exactly. it they're not going to rack much. up as many regular season wins but they the five-man unit they can put on the floor at the end of the games is significantly better than what they could do yet last year I think yeah I, don't, I mean I'm a little worried about like Wes Matthews I think was still important for them to be able to guard some of these big wings like Drew's a little short for that. They're still relying on DiVincenzo at the two. They have zero flexibility against the hard cap. They had to punt two roster spots on the 45th and the 60th pick mm -hmm. uh, with the hard cap. So I don't even know how active they can be in the buyout market. They still hard cap themselves because they got Bobby Portis. Like they could have done everything else that they wanted to do and not been hard capped if they had just not given Bobby Portis the BAE, basically. Well, um, they, I mean, Augustine's deal was for too much, though. Well, no, they could have done the same thing you were talking about them doing with George Hill last year, where they just put a little more guarantee on the third year of the mini mid level and given him the same guaranteed money over two years. Oh, I see. Yeah, because yeah. he's a he's a partial on the third year right now, so they could have done a lower first year guarantee and a larger partial on the third year. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, but but anyway, so just. 
yeah, I think they could upgrade if they still had the ability to upgrade their roster at all during the season. If the cupboard weren't just so dry, I would feel much better about this. But yeah, I mean, we'll see if they win a championship and Giannis resigns all good. You know, this moves up to probably a B in retrospect a year from now, or it could be the absolute worst off season in NBA history. <laughs> like there's yeah. a lot of variability it's, it's here. It's catastrophic if Giannis leaves. You have to, that's what you have to know Giannis is resigning to, to go ahead with the holiday deal. I, I agree with you on that. So if he doesn't, that's a problem. Um, can, yeah. Can we talk about two teams in the West? Oh, big time. Let's go. There are two of these that I violently disagree with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Utah gave them a B. Utah, you gave them a B. I thought they had a terrible offseason. I thought they had a real window to be next year's Miami. uh, And they screwed that up. And they also screwed up their future with the Mitchell extension. Uh, So in the short term, uh, their, their window to being sort of the next Miami was to find, if they weren't happy with Tony Bradley, find a cheap backup five, whatever, to play the eight minutes Rudy Gobert is in, in a big game. And then get yourself a real backup 3-4 with your mid-level exception uh, so that you have actual wing depth, actual size at the 3-4, uh, and and multiple players you can use in those roles, and you're not depending on 20 minutes of George Niang in your most important game of the season. Instead, they go full mid-level on Derek Favors. Like, you already had him. You know this doesn't work. You can't play him and go bear in a playoff game. This this is a known, right? Like, what are you doing? If you're going to get the band back together, do it on Jay Crowder, who got the same money. You, getting favors was, and he's not a terrible player, but the, fit-wise, this was just insane. Uh, and then they drafted a giant center in the first round, too, and gave up a second to get rid of their other giant center, Tony Bradley. So they spent all their offseason energy on kind of the least important thing uh and then the second half of that was mitchell's extension was just a capitulation i mean they just basically handed him a blank sheet and said fill it in however you want he got he gets 30 percent max even if he's third team all nba uh he has the player option on the fifth year which in a small market that's the thing you have to hold the line on especially when you're not dealing with like a lebron level talent right it's 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 donovan mitchell he's good but like there's there there are tears to this cake right and I, I just don't think that you had to cave that way. And I think we saw with some of the other extensions, uh, you know, the ones that Bam Adebayo or De'Aaron Fox signed, that that teams don't necessarily have to do that. And I, I don't understand why Utah did that either. And I feel like between those two things, they won, wasted, wasted a chance to be uh, a, a real potential surprise team this year. And two, really started the clock on on whatever is next for Mitchell potentially uh, because once you do that player option, you know, the, the clock really starts two years out from that player option year, which isn't that far away anymore. So all of a sudden, if you're looking at a situation where Gobert leaves uh, and, you know, a couple of these other guys age out, then Mitchell's sitting there looking around and like, well, I don't know if I want to be here anymore either. So I agree with you on the Mitchell thing. That was terrible. Um, now, the rest of it, though, This was my list of players at the three who I think could fill the type of role you were talking about to be the next Miami. You had Jay Crowder. Okay, yeah, he went to... He went to Phoenix for the same money. Like, Jay Crowder didn't play that well in Utah. I don't know that they necessarily wanted to have him back. They gave him away in a salary dump uh, to Memphis. It was in the Conley trade, yeah. Last year. So, uh, and, you know, they maybe could have made that be Dante Exum instead, uh, although maybe Memphis didn't want Dante Exum. But uh, still, I, I think... 
I don't know that they felt like he was going to be that great. He Jay Crowder is also going to play a larger role in Phoenix. You, this That's is true. a pandemic year where it'd be nice to be able to like go outside and like be social with people instead of being in Utah where it's cold. And Phoenix <laughs> is just, I, I think uh, now has always been a good market. And now that Chris Paul is there, they're actually becoming a free agent destination again. I just don't think that that player was available. Sure, I would love to get cheap backup center. Although they did try the cheap backup center route last year and they ended up, without somebody who could play in the playoffs. Um, I think Favors was probably just the best player that they could get for the mid-level. And I just don't know who, I mean, Derek Jones Jr., did he want to go there? Like, he's starting in Portland. Like, they can't offer a starting role to these guys Mm -hmm. the way some of these other places go. I mean, should they have gone with Glenn Robinson III? Maybe, although they probably could have got him anyway as uh, as it's amazing how out. many of these guys Utah cycled through already. I'm looking, it's like, oh, Rodney Hood, Alec Burks, like <laughs> Jay Crowder. <Yeah. laughs> it's a it's a pie on to, to former uh, Jazz uh, uh, backup wings, kind of. Uh, I yeah. So 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 I what I take issue with is this idea that there really was some other alternate path. I don't believe that there was. And then to be willing to like pay the tax for a team that's pretty good, you know, like you, I think you deserve credit for that. They're, I mean, they they're have not the tax. What they're, they're not, not going to pay the tax? Who who are they moving to not pay? What do you mean? They're a million over. All they got to do is, is that trade all it is, one really? of these trade one of these not one or two of these non guaranteed contracts right before the guarantee date uh, with cash, and then you know do the ten day dance, keep their roster at fourteen. They'll end up like twelve dollars below the tax at the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. You're right. They, they were not as far in it as I thought. Okay. I apologize for that. But uh, I mean, they're still pretty expensive, and you know, maybe they'll add salary if they make a trade during the during the season. Like that's a possibility. We'll see. Um. But the, you're the right. other thing they could have done. The other thing they could have done. Speaking of uh, moves, is traded for Robert Covington, right? They, where, where do they have two first-round picks laying around? Well, they had one this year, right? I mean, yeah, you could, although, Ed Davis and Tony Bradley is your salary match, right? Right, but, then, but remember, so, like, that was the 16th pick that Portland gave up. Utah had 27 this year, so that's a big difference already. Um, and then they still owe Memphis one from the Conley deal. Uh, and this is also a team that has a lot of expensive guys. Like, if you're going to have Gobert and Mitchell, I mean, those picks are gold. you got to fill in more guys around them. The other reason I like favors is it gives them some insurance to still be competitive next year if Gobert leaves or if he just has to be traded and they can't come up with an extension for him. I, I agree with that. I mean, the, so the one thing I'll say in their favor, and I remind people of this when they're evaluating off seasons, that playoff rosters still aren't due for a while. So that yeah. teams do have the capacity to do in-season work. Maybe they're able to do a trade with favors in season where they bring back somebody who can play the, who's, you know, a more like 6'8", 6'7", switchable guy that fits, uh, that isn't available right now. Or, you know, maybe maybe they're able to do something with, I don't know, Royce O'Neal or something and, and bring in another guy like that. Um so that those options are still out there. Maybe there's a go bear deal that brings brings them back a, a big time player at the three four, and then they just move favors into the starting lineup. So there there are there are still roads here and, and possibilities. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, I could be talked into you saying it's like a C or a C plus. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think they they got two good players, one of whom was Clarkson to to come back. 
Um, and you know, they got one of the best players available at the mid-level. They got a starting level of player to come in. I mean, I think they just want to play Gobert less during this year as well. They want to not have to play Gobert for 43 minutes a game during the playoffs. That might be nice to be able to play. He's a big guy to play him 37 minutes. You know, that, that would be nice too. So I, I mean, I do understand the feeling of like, Hey, Rudy Gobert is going to play a lot of minutes. Like why use your mid-level on papers? It's just I just don't see who else was out there. Like he, if you just look at who the best actual player was that they could have gotten in Utah for a guy who, when you don't have a starting position to offer, I think they did pretty well. The improved built bar is even more delicious. They have 18 amazing flavors now. It's just the best tasting protein bar out there. Cookies and cream, cherry bar, sia, apple almond crisp, lemon almond cheesecake. Those are some of the new ones. Then there's classics like raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, peanut butter, brownie, double chocolate. If you like chocolate and you like peanut butter, this is definitely the protein bar for you. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew, but yet still 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs in, for example, that peanut butter flavor. So they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for a keto diet. And you can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, the name of this network. You get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. All right, what's your what's your next disagreement? Uh, I disagree with you on Minnesota. Okay, you thought they were better or worse than I had? What did I have for them? I had like a like you something a pretty D, terrible, I think. right? Yeah, uh, I actually kind of like their off season. Um, or I like P. Oh no, I'm sorry. You gave them an F plus, um, which I I pretty violently disagree with. Um, getting Ricky Rubio for James Johnson, like I'm sorry, that is a win. Okay, that that is a major win. Ricky I, I, Rubio, I disagree with you because. Okay. Because Ricky Rubio also goes out another year and he's not going to start for you. Like you're, you're, does this team that has nothing at the three and four, I mean, you want to talk about like the opportunity cost with favors, they're going to pay $17.8 million next year for a backup guard. It's an expensive luxury. I agree with that. Right. I mean, okay. Yeah. If it's just swapping Rubio for James Johnson for this year, sure. Go go for it. I, I, I agree that that helps. But then, I mean, I think those guys are like somewhat similar assets, at least as the Wolves are concerned, because remember they got like sacred cow D'Angelo Russell. Also, I think you're putting the crop <laughs> before the horse here. Like they took, they took the wrong guy at number one. They clearly took the wrong guy at number one. You think they should have taken LaMelo? Yeah. Yeah. And I they didn't because they, they tripled down on the sacred cow D'Angelo Russell, who I think you and I both agree is just not worthy of affecting your decisions as a franchise to this degree. And particularly when, okay, we can't have another point guard in here, but then now we're going to spend $17 million on another point guard instead when it, it just it doesn't add up to me at all. And okay. it really just seems like so much of this was based on catering to D'Angelo Russell's ego and I think Lamelo has a good chance to be better than Russell. I don't know if his median outcome is higher, but I think his upside is way higher than Russell. Yeah, and oh, and by the way, you don't have to pay him the max. Yeah, and that's really what you're shooting for in a rebuild like Minnesota, right? The the yeah. problem is, I mean, they, they have no viable alternative other than plowing ahead with, with Russell yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. Where are they going with this group? Like, maybe this could be a seventh seed one day? Oh, oh no, I'm sorry. The, the other thing, viable option that's still out there is they could trade Russell for John Wall. Yeah. Now, I mean, and I did say this at the time, if Anthony Edwards works out and I'm wrong about him, this grade shoots way up because he is yeah. the better fit. He does have the upside. I just thought LaMelo is going gonna, is gonna to be a much better player than him, or at least has yeah. a much higher upside than him. So yeah. if I'm wrong on that, then I disagree. But I mean, I got to go with my evaluation here. And I thought that was kind of your evaluation too. 
No, I mean, there, I'd be more like C minus. There were other elements of this I didn't like. Uh, giving up a second to lock in Ed Davis as your backup center, like just just get somebody for the minimum. Like it's it's not any different. Um, yeah, or wait uh, until New York waves him. <laughs> well, there's that too. Yes. <laughs> Although I mean, they, they they gave it up partly to to get off of money too. But the the financial end game would have been very similar. You're right. If you just wait till New York likely cuts him. Uh, the Beasley extension was uh, on the high side. Certainly, uh, I thought Wancho's was more fair. Rondé yeah. Hollis Jefferson on a non guaranteed minimum. Yeah. I, I don't know how it, he slipped. In fairness, I, I that had not come down when I left the grid. Yeah. That that might have that might have bumped him up to an F plus plus. Hollis Jefferson on a non-guaranteed minimum was an absolute steal. I think he may end up starting for them, actually. Um, I, I thought that was one of the best value deals, and I, I don't really know how he slipped through the cracks so much. I mean, I know he's a weird player and whatnot, but, like, he's effective. Uh, but, like, bigger picture here, I I understand. There's a sense of, like, where are we going? Like, we're just, we're just all in on Russell and Towns, you know? We're locked into, like, you know, Jarrett Culver, can he... Can he play? Like, is he any good? And just kind of locked into to past decisions and uh, in in a way that's not super encouraging. And yet, like when I run the numbers on this team, they might not be that bad. Like, th- there's actually the kernel of like a decent team here, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of like Wizards West right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, with the overpaid point guard and uh oh man. That that's a good one. Yeah, that is that is kind of what they are. Yeah. I mean, and they might even have a better offense than I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is an absolutely awesome offensive player. I think that's been lost a, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he was playing at a crazy high level the first month of the season before he got hurt last year. Um, all right, let's hit, let's hit some more. Did you have any more disagreements? First of all, we could probably, I think, I think I'm basically on board with everything else. Uh, yeah. as, as I, I scanned through this, I'm trying to think if there's one that really got me fired up and I didn't really see anything. Um, did, did I convince you at all on, on Minnesota? Are you, are you sticking with your C minus? I think, I think it's more like a C minus. I, I, there, there, there are a few things here that were actually pretty okay. I thought, um, even though some of it was bad. Um, okay. Uh, let's see here. Hit some questions real quick. See some some of the people who uh, highlighted their messages. Uh, top her four. Can you rate the Sixers off season this year compared to last year's? Are they a better team now compared to last season? They are a better team with emphasis on the word team. Uh, I think these pieces fit much more, uh, capably and it's an opportunity now to really see what Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are because they're the the guys around them are now set up in a way to optimize whatever it is Simmons and Embiid can be and we don't know the total answer to that question and I think that's what we're going to find out this year is what it what is the ceiling for a Simmons and Embiid team if they have reasonably good role players around them who can make shots and do role player things and not get in each other's way. So I, I think we're going to learn the answer to that this year. Another question uh, asking who the top buyout candidates are this year. This is always interesting, right? Because it's guys who, in theory, can still play, mm-hmm. but also don't have enough value on their contracts to be tradable for value. As I scan the list here, it doesn't look like there are that many of these guys. Cody Zeller might be one. Um, I could. You see... know, that play-in game is going to hurt the buyout market. Yeah. 
Because you think point. about, I mean, Charlotte's going to be trying to get into that game, right? Uh, for for as long as they can. So, like, you got to be out of tenth before before the buyout thing really becomes prominent for you. Um, yeah, and also just the shorter season as well. There's just less time for teams yeah. to fall out of it. Uh, Gorgie Deng, I think, will be a name on the buy, buyout market. Yeah, assuming that Memphis has a rough year, which with the fa- the news that Winslow and Jaron Jackson won't be starting the season is looking more likely now. Yeah, and I think, you know, depending on how they use Clark and Jackson in the second half of the season, if his minutes get squeezed enough and they want to get like Jonte Porter and uh, Xavier Tillman out there, I, I could I could see Memphis just giving him his wings, even if they're in like contention for 10th or 9th or whatever. Uh, Julius Randle, maybe? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, at only 26, he does have four million guaranteed for next year. But yeah, he really yeah. doesn't seem to fit in New York's plans. But he's he's at a, well, all. he's a Kentucky guy though, so possibly possibly not. Uh, Reggie Reggie Bullock could be another one. Yeah, that, he's one where I think you could probably get a second for him in a trade uh, if he's going to be playing. Yeah, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder roster. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think those guys, they'll be trying to trade them as expiring contracts for guys who are bad contracts going forward and hoping to pick up an asset that way. But I don't know if they can do that with the entire roster. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard with like Trevor Ariza and Justin Jackson. Like, I think those two guys have a decent chance ending up as buyouts. George Hill Uh, and Al Horford, I presume, get traded at some point. Uh, JaVale McGee on Cleveland, I think, is someone might be kind of a a lower level of guy there. Uh, Maybe Nemanja Bielitsa. I think he's Um, too good to be a buyout guy. I think he's he's a trade guy. Yeah, you you might be right about that. Um, Jabari Parker. Yeah, no, that's he was right next uh, on my list there for sure. Um, Yeah, someone said Otto Porter. I don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe just because he makes so much that he can't be traded. I just have no idea what's going to happen with the Bulls here. And uh, they're a hard hard one to read right now. Yeah, I think uh, Felicio will be available in the buyout market. Uh, as soon as tomorrow, potentially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I think t- Tony Snell maybe possibly at the Hawks if he just. It, I if mean, they just, maybe can if use him. He just him, ends but... up not playing, which which might be a thing. Yeah, I I could see them. Uh, like Travis's history, he's pretty accommodating with situations like that. I could see him le- letting letting Tony Snell get yeah. out if he just says, you know what, I'm not playing. I'd really rather be someplace else. Uh, two more, Patty Mills and Rudy Gay. Yes. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, clearly, San Antonio is going to try to trade those four guys if they if they have any common sense at all this season. When you look at LaMarcus Aldridge, DeMar DeRozan, Patty Mills, and Rudy Gay, I don't know if they're going to go four for four, though, and whoever's left will be a buyout candidate for sure. Yeah, uh, the commenter suggested Thaddeus Young as well. Yeah, although there's money on that third year, which could complicate things. The uh, San Antonio, the other thing is, if they don't make a trade, they definitely are going to want to buy out at least one of these guys because they're 1.5 over the tax right i mean i guess they'll get under if they cut zeller but they're close enough to the tax that this could matter yeah the bulls though i think what you're saying about the play-in is a a good point where i'm not sure that guys will get bought out um i mean the bulls are we would be a pretty disastrous season for them to not even be in the mix for the 10th seed they should i think they'll be in the mix for the 10th seed at least at least for a while hopefully i mean (laughs) yeah but by the way i mean this playing game is just mana from heaven for like any embattled coach or GM to be able to spin it to where, oh, you know, we're still in contention. Like 
to now, oh, we're just, you know, two games out of making yeah. the play and like we we're yeah. so close. Yeah, totally. Totally. You, you, you'll, de- you'll definitely see that. Um, some of these Western teams, especially um, where you, you actually have to be legitimately decent just to get in the play in. I, th- I think it's going to give some oxygen to some of these situations that maybe would look pretty desperate otherwise. Uh, okay, let's uh, get into our next topic here. Who are the really elite teams? Who like we can kind of go through it in tiers here. Who are your tier one teams for this year? Okay, so tier one for me, I don't know how many regular season games they will win, but the Lakers are clearly tier one, right? They're the defending champions. How can you not have them in tier one, right? Yeah, Let, let's we'll let's move on. They're obviously in there. Okay, uh, the next two teams are teams that had crushing disappointments in the playoffs last year, but clearly have loaded rosters. Uh, Milwaukee and the Clippers. I, I think they have to be in tier one. Would you agree? Yeah, with me I would. There? I would agree with you on that. I, I like it's. It's actually pretty remarkable. I would say that this season, if you want to just say, you know, predict like in the regular season who's going to be a dominant team, like I don't see that team out there. It's been a long time, I think, since we've been able to say that at the start of a season where you just don't like. If we were doing full season here, I don't think I would predict any team to win sixty games this year. I have every, even in a seventy-two game season, I have every single team projected to at least lose at least twenty games. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd agree with you on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you do have to put Milwaukee and the Clippers in there. But I, I, I could see either of those teams, Milwaukee actually more likely than the Clippers, kind of just falling out of it. Um, and, and we'll see. I, I Like, the Giannis situation still, if he doesn't sign, I mean, man, like, the that pressure, I usually kind of eschew this discussion of, oh, they're under such pressure, like these these, these kind of external factors. But that's one where I might make an exception. I mean, that would it's, just be... It's this a, LeBron's last year in Cleveland all over again. Um, I mean, you know, even worse, because at that point, I don't I don't know how many people really seriously thought he was going to leave Cleveland. Um, you know, having just won his first MVP, they won 66 games the yeah. year before. Um, and, you know, now it's just a much different culture in terms of changing teams now, in yeah. part because of what LeBron did, than it was 10 years ago. Like, you didn't, like, Shaq was really the only guy who was like a mega, mega star who moved in free agency before LeBron that I can recall. Tony Allen. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, the, the Clippers are facing the same thing, though. Uh, you know, you think Kawhi wants to be in L.A. and Paul George wants to be in L.A., but they can they can opt out after the season, too. Yeah, well, you know, now that Paul George isn't going to be used like Ray Allen, I'm sure everything will be fine there. He's not going to have any complaints this year. Yeah, no, that's, that's good because I remember all those times Ray Allen hit the side of the backboard on consecutive possessions with open corner threes. <laughs> Was it two... Two possessions in a row. I thought it was. I can't I remember it was, it was consecutive was. possessions. It was definitely consecutive shots, though. That they had a few bad misses in that game seven. <laughs> I think we can. I think they we can did. say that. So, so is that is Milwaukee Clippers LA? I mean, those were the favorites coming into the bubble last year. Clearly, that was tier one last year. Is that the sum total of your tier one this year? That is that is my tier one. Yes. Why are the Miami Heat not in that? They just made the finals and they got pretty much their whole team back. Ah. Uh, I still think there was a lightning and bottle aspect to that. Uh, that like I'm very comfortable with them in tier two, but they, I mean, they were outscored over six games by Boston. They um, they weren't a dominant regular season team at all. I, I just have a hard time saying it's like automatic that they're this elite elite team now. 
Yeah, I don't think I thought that like a lot of guys played way better in the bubble than the regular season. Butler, Dragic, I think the the bubble was Crowder. very well what set about, up. What about Crowder, who's who's gone now yeah. and replaced by Harkless. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point as well. You know, Andre Guadala is a year older. He didn't look too great last year. Now you might say, yeah, we got Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson, and Kendrick Nunn, and those guys are all young enough that yeah, if there's a little drop off from the vets, those guys can make it up. But I do think like the bubble just seems so uniquely suited for guys like Butler and Dragic, where they didn't have a whole regular season behind them. They could just come in; they're in great shape because they're on the Heat, and the Heat, you know, just from a mental standpoint, they we're able to deal well with the bubble. That's what some people are saying. So I'm not writing the heat off. Um, but I, 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 it's just hard to know what to take from the bubble, right? Like, I mean, you, you said it, the Lakers, or I think it was DA who said this actually, that the Lakers are sort of pretending that a lot of the stuff that happened in the bubble didn't exist with their off season moves, which maybe is a, a smart move. So yeah, I would probably have my Miami down a little bit lower in terms of contenders. And then also when you consider that they're not going to make any moves to take on any money beyond the summer of 2021, that kind of limits their improvement options during the season. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I do think they're still positioned to do some stuff in season, and especially the odd thing is that if Giannis signs that extension, it liberates Miami to make other moves in season that they might not have done otherwise. Yeah. That then could push them into that upper tier this season. Yeah, there was a report that from Barry Jackson that they're going to try and go after Bradley Beal. That's looking a little less likely now. Um, Boston, I mean, I think they, they pretty unequivocally got mm-hmm. worse. They also have this $27 million trade exception, though, yeah. and they do have some young guys, and they've got all their first-round picks going forward and a bunch of seconds. So that's one where they could get a lot better. And then also just the young guys improving. The Kemba news is uh, rather disheartening for them, though. It's That's disturbing. And then the, the other thing... I thought Boston really screwed up by using its mid-level exception on another center who isn't that different from the two they already have rather than getting another player who can back up at the 3-4. Um, yeah. You know, uh, again, who is again, that guy, bring back though? Jay Crowder. But uh, Yeah, I know. I'm a broken record here. But um, that their depth, and especially knowing Kemba would be down, um, that they could have gone maybe into the point guard market too. Uh, instead of, like, they're looking at, you know, Peyton Pritchard and Jeff Teague. I think they were irrationally excited about Jeff Teague. Uh, based on what I saw from him in Atlanta last year, uh, like, yeah, he's he's a middle well, guy now. I, like, well, he that, can't play in the is. playoffs anyway. I mean, I, like it's good to have another ball handler, but I, I mean, Wanamaker to me is better than him in the playoffs. Just letting him go, I it was, seemed like an own goal to me. They had restricted rights on it. I understand why they did that, but yeah. Um, what about the Brooklyn Nets? So I think they have to be in tier two because even though I think their median outcome maybe isn't that great, they're they have a wide variance. And the upside of that variance is pretty damn high. We just don't know what Kevin Durant's going to be this year, coming off the Achilles. And if he's still awesome, then then I think Brooklyn is in pretty good shape to be potentially kind of the number two team in the East. And if not, then then I think they have some problems. But they also are pretty well situated for trades, too. Um, if you look at, you know, you have a Jared Allen, you have a Spencer Dinwiddie that you can throw into deals. Uh, they still have kept their uh, powder pretty dry on the draft pick front. So they're in good shape on doing some stuff in season. 
as well. So I think I think they have some interesting possibilities, even though, again, I think their median outcome is probably more likely they're in the 4-5 game in the East. But there's a high side to these guys that you can't ignore. No, I, I agree with you. And it's, uh, gosh, it, it really is looking at these East teams, like those top six could finish in nearly any order to me. I mean, the Sixers, I think, are going to be a lot better this year. I think um, Philly's going to be a lot better, definitely. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do. I'm still not sure it's like a great team, but I'm interested to see what it is. And then Toronto, you know, I, I didn't think they had the playoff upside of the, to begin with and then losing both Gasol and Ibaka. Maybe that doesn't hurt them as much for the regular season. They can get by with Baines and Len and Boucher. And But I just think in the playoffs, it's going to be tough for me to, to see how they get past the second round. They're like a generic milk toast playoff team now, I, I think is what they are. Yeah, although I still think they're going to be good in the regular season. Like, I do not count them out in the slightest as, as a regular season team. And and Cal Lowry is going to have a decline someday, right? You you would think so, although maybe not in his walk year. Yeah, it's it's tough when you're, I think he's 34 now, which is, uh, yeah, that that's getting up there for a small guard. So what about in the West? Who do you have as third in the West right now? So uh, Dallas is, is the team that I've really circled as a tier two team this year. I think they could be really good. They're, the health questions around Porzingis are probably the biggest issue. Uh, and what he can be when healthy and how much he will be healthy, right? Uh, but you have the fact that you, you're definitely going to have like a top four player in the league this year, right? With Luka. Uh, I think the Curry-Richardson trade will help them because it gives them a legitimate wing defender, which they didn't really have last year. Uh, you know, I, th- I think they tr- took another couple of shots at that type of player with these deals for a Wundu and drafting Josh Green. I, I mean, they're they're trying to address that uh, that flaw. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with with Dwight Powell and what kind of condition he comes back in. But they like they have some backup at these spots when you look at Kleba and Kali Stein. Like they're not they're they're a deep team. They get Jalen Brunson back this year. Trey Burke I thought was a good deal. Like they got a lot of stuff even when Luca's off the floor. So I, I think that'll really be a wind at their back in the regular season. And I think I think they have a shot to get a top two seed, honestly. Yeah, I'm a little less sanguine about that just due to the Porzingis issue. Um, but yeah, and, and we'll see what Powell can give them and Cauley Stein can give them as well. And I don't know how much they're gonna want to play Luca again. I mean, this this regular season, I can never remember when there's been this uh this crazy of a prediction market for a season i just have no idea what's going to happen with all the injuries and guys coming back from injuries and the fact that there's 72 games in you know three and a half months or whatever it's going to be and i guess four four and a half months uh i'm i just have no idea i really like i can probably i feel like i can predict the playoffs a little bit better but you know i mean golden state is another one right what do you make of the warriors son clay thompson this year uh, I am worried about them. I, I think they're going to have a hard time being more than an average team. So, so thirty-six wins. Maybe not even thirty-six. Oh, baby! Like, I, I, I just there's. I mean, Curry's still an all-star player. Clearly, this Draymond's. You know, he's probably got something left, right? Uh, probably more than he showed a year ago. But then, you know, you get to like. Ubre Wiggins, like I mean, Kelly Ubre is fine, but like, is he if he's your third best player? Like, how good are you? Um, I don't think the bench is that good. Uh, I think certainly I, you get. To I, the, I disagree with you on that. I think the bench okay. is actually pretty good. 
but uh, uh it, we'll see uh i mean some of these young guys will have to come through but i mean you know if steph curry is 95 percent of what he was in 2019 then i think these guys are still pretty good uh i mean i'm just a little worried about their shooting and creation outside of curry i think they yeah. could be decent defensively but I, to me it all just comes down to what you get from curry and draymond another one of these who the hell knows those guys basically uh both missed the entire season last year <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, you remember, they were getting their asses kicked before Curry got hurt. Yeah, but they also had D'Angelo Russell, and I think they just knew that they were going to be terrible. Um, wow. And, and they, would have, they would have figured it out to some degree, I think, with you those hope. guys. But, um, you know, they, they would have figured it out with stuff, so... Um, yeah, anyone, anyone else in the West that really, I mean, you, you have the Mavs as the third best playoff team. I think I probably would agree with you there as long as Porzingis is healthy. Um, I mean, I could even say, I mean, the Suns and the Blazers, like I could see. So I have like Denver and Portland lurking, right? Yeah. I could see like any of like six or seven teams being the number one seed this year in the West. Really? Just because I don't think the Lakers and the Clippers are really going to try that hard. Um, the Lakers, to me, clearly will be the best team. And maybe maybe having Harrell and Schroeder will help them more in the regular season, potentially. Um, I'm, I'm, to and I'm totally expecting Cleveland era LeBron regular season from the Lakers this year. I, I can't argue with you on that. Like I, I, I'd kind of be surprised if they had the best record in the West again. I, I, just, I just don't think there's a lot yeah. of incentive for them to play for that. Just... They'll win exactly enough games to get a halfway decent seed and then deal with everything else from there. Well, so here's why I think that it could be one of any of these teams. If you're saying that, you know, we're talking about a 55-56 win type of team under normal circumstances getting the number one seed, like, there's always there's always a couple teams that just pop to that level every year that you just mm -hmm. don't necessarily anticipate. So, like, can I construct a scenario where the Phoenix Suns get into, like, you know, winning 53, 54 games in a normal season? Yeah, I could absolutely construct that scenario. Um, I don't think it's likely, but you want to say there's a, you know, a non-zero chance of that happening? Sure. Uh, Mavs, Nuggets, even the Jazz. You know, I mean, they're going to have a really solid eight-man rotation. They're definitely be trying in the regular season. Um, yeah. Blazers, I mean, we don't, like, they're always an awesome offense. If they, like, they could maybe even be, like, close to a top 10 defense this year now with some of the guys they have on the wing. Like, their, their front court is actually, like, really good defensively now. Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks much better depending on how, how they line up. Um, hopefully they don't try to play these monster huge lineups again. Well, so th the early word is that uh, Covington and, and Jones, Derek Jones are going to start which, at, at the forward, which is good. That, that yeah, that, that should be good. Um, and then, you know, because that probably pushes Collins to more minutes at backup five, bring Trenton Hood off the bench on the perimeter. You're not relying on Ennis Canner as much. Um, you're not playing Mello as much, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, and if they could uh, find a backup point guard, which they conspicuously ignored, they could probably be really good. Yeah. But they'll be, I mean, if they just you do a three guard rotation with Trent and the two starters, I think you're probably fine there. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, I mean, they always, less so this year, uh, but I've always felt that Portland, it all hinges a little too much on Damian Lillard playing 82 times 40. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what that, I mean, Portland's definitely going to be good. I, I just have a hard time seeing them getting to a, getting to a point where they're really scary. Um, okay, please tell us all seven. All right, so Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Nuggets, Mavericks, Suns, Blazers. I think there is a 
at least a chance that any of those teams could win the most games in the Western Conference. Much lower for some than for others, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I would say the, I would say those are the those are the seven teams where you go into the season thinking those are your probable playoff teams, and then let's throw down and see who ends up in number eight. Well, here, so Kevin Pelton's projections using RPM has the Lakers as the number one seed with 44 wins, and it's got the Suns and Blazers with, you know, 39 wins. Five win difference. Like, anything can happen to cause a five win difference, even if it's only a 72-game yeah. season. Like, now his, like you, could just, you could just have, like, luck based on, you know, uh, yeah. your point differential, and just winning in close games can make up a five-game difference. Yeah, yeah. Although his so his projection is crazy close. Uh, I, I I have a bigger spread than that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean these uh, these top seven in the West is going to be interesting, and then I think sort of eight to twelve in the West is going to be really interesting uh, in terms of who gets that number eight, who gets into the play in tournament, um, and who gets who gets left out. Uh, you know, the more the more I think about it, actually, I think it's like a pretty clear hierarchy. I, I okay. would we can talk about the bottom here now, but here's who I would leave out of that. I'm going to leave out the Grizzlies, the Wolves, the Kings, the Spurs and the Thunder. So that's five. Okay. So I think you've got like a pretty clear top 10 to me. And obviously injuries are going to change all that. A hardened trade could change that, too. Um, I think uh, I think Minnesota is going to be pretty decent. Uh, and I think even with the injuries, the way Memphis is set up for a compressed season when they have such a strong bench, I, I think they're still going to be pretty competitive. I think their offense is just going to be terrible. Like they're so reliant on Jackson shooting to make up for that, all these. So that's the biggest thing I worry about is that with Jaron out of the lineup at the start of the season, just are they just going to be able to score? Is there just is there just not enough shooting out there? Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they play. Are they going to have to? You know, last year they were starting Anthony Tolliver, which was just like a cry for help, right? Just to get enough spacing out there. Yeah. What What can they do to generate that space this year? I mean, Kyle Anderson's probably starting in Winslow's place. He's He's developed a little more of a three ball, but I think they still need one more shooter out there. It's almost like they may end up having to start Grayson Allen and sliding everybody up a spot just to have enough shooting on the floor to just be able to kind of operate with with their starting group. Uh, but that's going to put them at a disadvantage too. So yeah, it's amazing how how important Jaron is to making that thing work, at least until John Morant gets to the point where he's more comfortable as a shooter. Um, my, my boy on the left, I think that's me looking like Mark Zuckerberg. I, although doesn't Mark Zuckerberg just like never move his face and never blink when he's talking. I'm like basically the opposite of that. I like get all like animated and like move my head around and stuff. So, uh, um, I, also Mark Zuckerberg would probably have like, you know, a nicer background behind him. <laughs> there are, there, there are many differences between you two that, that we don't need to go into. Um, all right, how about this one from Gruntask? With the COVID situation, could the league change the roster limit rules, say, up to 20? Probably not. I, I think they're fine at, at 17. They, they they really softened up the two-way rules this year so that these two-way guys are going to be eligible to play in most of the games. Um, they gave themselves enough leeway to... Uh, to to change things on the fly, but I can't see them changing to that extent. What they can do in some cases is grant a roster exemption temporarily that allows teams to sign extra players, uh, especially to non-guaranteed or 10-day contracts. Um, 
We uh, became very familiar with roster exemptions in Memphis in 2016 when we had three of them at the same time. Uh, I, I was told later by somebody at the league office that they had to create all kinds of spreadsheets and whatnot that they had never had to do before just to keep track of our situation. Uh, so, but that's that, that's what the league does. Individual teams are granted roster exemptions if they have too many injured players at the same time. And so that that, that would still apply, I think, in this case, if, if there was a rash of cases on one team. Yeah, and also it just, it would get to be so ugly at that point. And I think when they're not going to, have fans in the stands you know the issue of like oh man if we have to cancel this game and tickets and stuff it seems easier to just cancel it at that point absolutely yeah you know um and and we'll see i mean how many of these teams get to 72 games will be very very interesting um let's see here yeah another, another great point being made just that covid could with you know if somebody gets covid and they're out for two weeks minimum like that could swing five games especially with the truncated schedule this year so um yeah let's see here um nate why does your chair look so big i'm just that's glad an that important are... point that we that we haven't discussed how big my chair is yes that is a throne <laughs> oh i'm a big guy uh but it, it's good to know that you know people are concentrating on the content of what we're saying rather than <laughs> utterly superficial details <laughs> so it's good good to know that this is what what has made us popular um yeah sorry what well, you were gonna say the, uh, a big point that that hasn't been talked about enough uh that, that your your chair was was the point but uh no another <laughs> actually we, we have we, we actually have a uh, a good question here um from uh, Carl Villages, uh, with the Kemba news, will Boston use the traded player exception for a veteran point guard? Who could they get for not much, like a second-round pick? Uh, I do think they're sitting on that $28 million exception. I think what you probably do if you're Boston, you play out 20, 30 games, see what you have, see, see how everything looks, see how Kemba's looking before you really go to town on using that exception. Uh, you can potentially take it into next summer, all of it, or you can use bits and pieces of it, right? You could use $5 million here, $8 million there, and still carry fifteen into the summer uh so there's a lot of different ways they could go i think the veteran point guard market right now is actually kind of soft i mean you talk about using the exception i mean you could like sign shabazz napier tomorrow uh like there's still halfway decent point guards that are out there if they wanted one so uh interesting to see how use how boston uses that giant exception though because i do think that that is the biggest chip they have left to kind of put pieces around this Tatum Brown smart walker core, uh, especially if these draft picks don't hit. Yeah, that's a, a good point. And now, I mean, there have been plenty of, I think, fantasies of, oh, they'll just grab this one guy who makes $27 million. Um I, I'm not sure who that ends up being. I mean, my fantasy for them has always been Rudy Gobert. Um, yes. I think when they had, if when I believed that they were going to have Gordon Hayward under contract at $34 million this year, that may have been a little bit more realistic. Would Gobert actually fit into that trade exception? All right, no, I'm not going down this road. I just I just said it was a fantasy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and they'll probably send something back in there, but there's still the size of the trade exception matters because you have to fit that guy in there if it's an imbalanced trade. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we just need to see how good they are this year. Are they going to go and see where Kemba is at as well? I mean, if if Kemba Walker is like, oh, he doesn't play at all this season and he's got they got two more years of dead contract Kemba Walker, 
Yeah. Then maybe there's a retrenchment around Brown and Tatum, and they kind of. But if Kemba Walker comes back and he's good to go, and you could be win the championship this year, that totally changes yeah. your thoughts. Then I think you got to be all in. Yeah, yeah. Gobert does fit into the trade exception, so uh, so I'll, so I'll be that guy now. Hey, you know, Semi Ojale for Rudy Gobert works in the trade machine. Um, got a few questions about like the 2021 draft college stuff. If you've been watching anything, you got any early impressions? We can finish up with that. We got I've been, three minutes. I've been here. watching a little bit, and uh, I liked what I saw from Cade Cunningham and uh, you know a couple of these Gonzaga guys. But I I generally don't uh, register too much uh, what these guys do in November. I, I care a lot more with the freshmen, the one and dones, especially how they progress into January, February. What what they look like in that second half of their freshman season, I think is much more telling uh, for, for what kind of player they're going to be. A lot of these guys aren't very good uh, in November games, even though you can see some of the talent. Like I, I was watching Texas, for instance, and uh, Greg Brown, like you could see these flashes where you're like, oh, uh, and then you look at the end of the game, he's got like nine points and four rebounds. But I'm really interested to see like, what does that look like in November, uh, in, uh, excuse me, January, February. So that to me is always when I'm looking at these one and dones, I don't really take it too seriously uh, when I'm watching them in November. Yeah, I, I mean, the only, I generally avoid watching college until I really get into my draft prep a couple months before the draft and I just watch it all on tape I mean I saw a few highlights of Kay Cunningham and like his jumper definitely looks pretty wet but other than that no no real comments let's uh let's hit one more question here before we end up you want to pick one okay oh I'm sorry you're asking if I wanted to pick one um yes yes uh <laughs> am I crazy that the Joshua Toast we got a Bulls question for you Nate am I crazy to think the Bulls are likely a bottom four team in the NBA or was the coaching really that bad you do wonder how the offense is going to get much better. Um, you know, because I, I, I mean, people have kind of crapped on Boylan's offense. Like, I mean, they were taking the right shots. Like, I'm not sure yeah. where this low hanging fruit is to improve that much offensively. They just don't have like great primary playmakers and they yeah. don't have a ton of shooting. If Otto Porter doesn't play this year to the extent that he didn't play last year, I think that's actually totally realistic that they could be really bad. I mean, I think Billy Donovan is competent, but I, I still, I, I think Jim Boylan, it was more kind of from an emotional standpoint. Like I didn't think from a scheme perspective that he was doing anything that was that bad. I think actually he probably got him to punch above their weight defensively with all the turnovers that they were forcing and being super aggressive. That doesn't work against good teams, but it worked against bad teams. So yeah, uh, the other thing is they got to allow Wendell Carter to shoot again. Yeah. So no, and because get, yeah. getting those bigs to where like Carter and Markinen, if they can be more legitimate stretch threats, then you're talking about a more open floor for Levine and and Kobe White and and uh, Levine, excuse me, and and th- then like that that just feels so much more threatening. Uh, but if they're just going to be like low thirty guys from out there, then you know whatever. And then the other thing I think with Patrick Williams, uh, if he's on the Hachimura this year, that's gonna that's gonna drag down the offense a little. Where he's you know where it's like twenty five charity minutes a game just to develop him, you know, regardless of whether he's playing well. Uh, I think that could that could set back the offense obviously too. Yeah, I, I think so because and it really just goes back to Kobe White, Levine, Porter's health, Markinen, Carter, like those guys all have to take step forward and and if they can then the bulls will be totally respectable but if they can't then they're just gonna be right back where they were previously yeah. and, that, and you know you and never want to assume yeah. that there's going to be improvement necessarily exactly uh, even for young players all right yeah. well this was awesome thank you so much for all the 
great questions that you gave us and a reminder we are always here on twitch at least through the end of the year uh 11 30 pacific 2 30 eastern on thursdays and or you can listen of course to hollinger and duncan in any of your podcast players talk to y'all next week till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.